Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, this is the EFL Freezer Crowd podcast, where we take a light-hearted look at all things Football League. You scumbag, you maggot. Matt Smith's really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm James, lifelong cough fan, and I'm joined each week by self-proclaimed Statman Luke and resident Millwall fan Andy. Gary Monk sacked after a, a nil-nil draw with Millwall as well. Although most <laughs> clubs in the Football League would die for a result like that. <laughs> We'll be covering important news, a run through the games, and our all-important goal of the week. Yes. <laughs> 3-0 to the own goal. <laughs> so find us with a new episode each Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You're listening to Achtung Millwall, broadcasting from the beautiful South Birmingham. Except no sandwiches. Huge welcome, dear listeners. Welcome to one of our not quite a lockdown special because we're not really we are locked down, but we're not locked down. Welcome to Mr. Neil Crazy Horse Andrews. Welcome, Neil. Cheers. Hello, Nick. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. It's a funny old time. No Millwall, but football on, and it's all a bit odd, isn't it? It's um Mer- this is called this part of the year. Did you know that? No, I didn't actually. It's so I mean, you wh- learn learn something new every day. It's the weird hinterland between Christmas listeners and New Year. It's that kind of period when nothing's going on, apart from podcasting, clearly, because that's that's what brings Neil and I together this afternoon. Um, and we're considering the weighty subject, the, the deep and 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 quite um, on one level simplistic and on one level quite complex subject of Mill's worst ever manager, Neil. It's actually not as simple as it seems, is it? No. Uh into context we are looking at the last 50 years um anything yeah. before that it's kind of hearsay isn't it so yeah we've, we've got we've got to give them the fair crack of the whip we're going to call it the modern the modern era um and i think one of the first problems you find if you consider this problem is is that this divides into two methods of assessment neil i found one is what you might call the strict statistical assessment which is one method that you can use because that's just number crunching um, but football obviously is not just um, a mathematical exercise, it's an emotional exercise as well. And that also comes into play in some of the choices and, 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 and you know, decisions that you make in the end. I'm not sure that you can entirely um, separate the two, to be honest. I don't know, how, how did you find the assessment? I found it um, not as easy as I thought it might be. 
Well, there's some obvious candidates, isn't there? Yes, there are. Uh, yeah, but yeah. I think you've got to put things into context because, um, you know, I know you posted it on Twitter. Yeah. And there was kind of unanimous decision around Peter Anderson, which I don't necessarily agree with, if I'm honest. Um, mm. yeah. And then you've got people like um, Spackman. Yeah. Um, obviously, people think about Jimmy Nickel, etc. But again, you have to put certain things into context. You've also got to put into... Um, the melting pot, you know, the expectations of the managers that came in, their reputation, you know, the what record, they went on yeah, to achieve, yeah, you yeah. know, that kind of thing. And, um, yeah, you know, I think my ultimate choice would will be a controversial one, but I stand by it. Well, we're going to hold that up our sleeve because we like a bit of controversy on, on this show. And, and as we're now falling down the ratings of the charts, I think we need to do our best to build up the theatricality of this podcast. So I'm going to save that controversial point till the end of the show, if we may. And I thought we might kick off um, having tackled the, you know, the, the kind of question how you assess this. I, I, I ran for a few, as you, you're right, a few obvious candidates, Neil, and a few that I thought would be obvious, but actually weren't. And I'm at the risk of speaking in riddles. I'm going to kick off with um, the man you've just mentioned, Peter Anderson, because um, emotionally, and I, I, were you going when Anderson was manager, Neil? Well, did you, you started when it's petty, didn't you? So yeah, yeah. So you would yeah. have lived, you would have lived the Anderson years along, along with me. And well, I started going when it was um, oh, Gordon Jago actually. Okay. Uh, um, but you know, Pecci were the, shall we say, the years that ingrained on my early memories um, because of the the Diego years were, um, shall we say, for a four five year old. Um, you know, you don't take as much in, but you know, as, no. as Pecci came along, you know, you're reading shoot, you're reading Royal the Rovers, you know, every single player in the football league kind of thing. It's like you overanalyze everything, you don't give, you? you? So it's, it's kind of, info, yeah. yeah. So it's kind of like from that point onwards, it's like when you say you really immerse yourself into. Football. I could be wrong. I'm just speaking for myself, but you know. Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's two. As I said, there's two ways you can you can do this. One is statistically. I, I just took a very simple view of win win rates. You know, so and, and they're on the uh, Mill history site, it's a fantastic chart of all the Mill managers, and it must be Excel based. You can actually arrange them in terms of win rates, so they, they you know the, the actual percentage numbers of games won, um, and that gives you a clue as to the the success or not as as to the manager. Um, and I've dismissed the kind of short term, you know, there's some caretakers and, and, you know, very short term arrangements that you can't really take into account. But two things surprised me on that win rate approach. Um, it produces some of the more obvious names, listeners, and we'll come on to those later. But I was expecting to see Peter Anderson with a very low return in terms of actual matches one nil. And actually, he wasn't his track record in terms of play you know played 98 won 34 games drawn 31 and lost only 33 um and that's a percentage if you want to use that way of, of, of approaching of 34 percent and that amazed me because emotionally um i've lived a life a bit like you know we had debate about pat cuff neil in the worst goalkeeper of all time and, and peter anderson for me emotionally was the worst manager mills ever had finished up in turmoil of course um on the brink of division four football and it was probably a downward slide but those numbers don't reflect the the emotion that i felt does that make sense it does i mean the big the thing we always talk about pat cuff was that his record of clean sheets and the number of games won was equal to tony warner yeah. only one player of the season which you know most people find remarkable but no it's better than tony warner's wasn't it that was the thing i think he, i think he edged yeah. Him. Yeah. yeah 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 um but again you know the memory of you know <laughs> 
a seven, eight-year-old child is that he was bloody awful. Um, but with <laughs> Peter Anderson, uh, you know, I think it started off quite well, didn't it? You know, he had a good start where he won seven, drew eight, and only lost three. And, you know, the club were on the kind of rise. And, you know, um, when I was reading about it, because he um, popped up on the big match revisited the other week playing for Luton Town. Luton, that's right. Yeah, he was, you know, a bit of a classy midfielder, wasn't he? You know. Um, he arrived with a reputation, you know. He, he did as a, a decent player. Um, yeah. But he said he wanted, you know, his first managerial job to be somewhere like Millwall, because he said the only way you could go was up, um, which he kind of um, proved wrong. <laughs> it proved the theory, didn't um, <laughs> But, you know, he um, he had a decent start, didn't he? You know, I mean, the 81-82 season wasn't exactly terrible compared to... It wasn't as awful um, as I remembered it, no. Yeah, um, the, the way Petty ended. But, you know, you've got to remember as well, at that time, we were selling everyone. Um, yeah, and I think George Petchy, you know, some people would say he was the worst manager, but you know, he was on a hide into nothing, wasn't it? You know, he had to sell John Lyons, Tony Tanner, John Seisman, you know, Kevin O'Callaghan. Yeah, you know, all these teams had their heart ripped out, all the skillful players went because they're the ones people wanted. And so you got this dour football because that was the only players we had. Um yeah. I think it was the same with Anderson to begin with, that he had to cut his cloth accordingly. Um you know, and did quite well at that. You know, he brought in some, I think he brought in Phil Worman, didn't he, from Charlton, who was quite a yeah. um, veteran defender who could add a bit of shape to the um, back four. Um, season now, I'm going yeah. to find it on the, on the computer. Yeah, I mean, my, my, my memory of Peter Anderson initially, and I found a, a Daily Mirror um, column, um, which I, I did stick online, um, which kind of spoke of, a, there was a sense of, Glamour, you know, he he had his playing record um, was quite interesting. I mean, Hendon isn't terribly glamorous, I will give you that, and and neither, to be frank, is Luton. But he was, you know, he, Luton at that point were a first division side. They were a team noted for playing champagne football. Neil, they, they, they played a passing style, you know, yeah, unusually they, for the. Well, they used to produce a lot of good players. They produced Malcolm McDonald, didn't the they? Future brothers, they had. yeah. yeah. And they had Eric Walker. <laughs> so, you know, they were always in the spotlight um, as a result, I think. But, um, you know, it's very, if I recall correctly, he was sold to keep Luton afloat. Yeah. Sold to um, yeah. Royal Antwerp in Belgium. Yeah, he, he in went Belgium. to Belgium. Yeah, and then he went to the North American Soccer League. where he did. Um, you know, you can get some great T-shirts, apparently, for Christmas. Just don't, um, don't tumble dry them, Neil. Just don't tumble dry them. Um, <laughs> but he ended up, I think, ironically enough, for Tampa Bay Rowdies as well, because that style of football really suited his style of play. Um, and when he came to Millwall, you know, he had some really kind of decent wins to begin with. Um, but then I think the problem was when Alan Fawn replaced Len Apple as chairman. Yeah. Alan yeah. Fawn, you know, suddenly said, we don't have to sell anyone. You can start buying players. And I think that's been a problem with Millwall managers down the years. And we'll come on to that later, I think, in that when you're given too much money to buy, you end up buying too many square pegs and trying to put them into round holes. And, you know, he bought Alan West, Sam Allardyce, Trevor Aylott, Steve Neal. You know, um, and Trevor Aylott reckon record signing kind of thing. And it just didn't work. I mean, even Sam Allardyce didn't work in the back four, really. No, um, no. But then he was quite unlucky. You know, we lost Chris Guffrey. I think it wasn't John Mitchell to injury. Mitchell was a good striker. player. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and I read on Twitter when you posted it that people saying, that, you know, he didn't really make most of the youngsters at the time. But all the decent youngsters, yeah, there was still a few about. Mm. But the ones coming up behind the youth team winners weren't that great. I mean, he gave Keith Stevens his debut. Um, 
but you know, you, you look at that side, I think it was only Keith Stevens, maybe Alan McCleary came out at that time, and obviously Teddy Sheringham had a you know the odd spell, but it wasn't like um well, he had the same problem as George Petchy when he had to play the youngsters, but the youngsters coming through weren't as good as they once were. Um, you know, not saying they're rubbish, but you also got to put it into context of this is third division football in the 1980s, you know, tough, early 1980s, a tough, hard where, environment, yeah. you know, where you know, people will try and break your neck or break your legs, or, you know, yeah. just to try and win the ball. And you know, an 18 year old, 17 year old in that environment can quickly crumble and lose their way, I think. Um, so it's a bit unlucky, a bit unfortunate. Um, but then obviously, um, you know, just reading up, you know, you had a good run where, you know, it's like three wins on the bounce because three points for a win then. So Millwall climb up to third and then came the 6-1 defeat against Grimsby. Is the dog, is the dog, dog disagreeing with, dog, dog disagree with Anderson? Yeah, yeah you, may, you may want to cut it there. You may want to come back to that one. I should have warned you that um, this happens when I'm on Zoom calls for work as well. Um, I mean, just looking at the Anderson's record, I mean, obviously, as you say, I mean, the 80-81 season, we finished 16th, but that was his first um, full season in charge after taking over from George Petchy, who um, anyone of that age will remember the slogan all around um, Bermondsey, Petchy must go, mm. um, which is hard on him, actually, because Petchy wasn't as bad a manager as, 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 he, as, he, as he became, so uh, strange way of saying it, mangling the English language. 81-82, um, we finished ninth um, in third division. Average crowds of 4,600. So that probably gives you a clue of the a sense of depression, Neil. And I, I, was, I was thinking about this before we came on air because um, that season there, 81, 82, was roughly about 10 years after me starting to go. I, I started mm. in the early 70s. So that decade, which would take me from the age of about 11 through my teens into my early 20s, when, you know, let's be honest, listeners, your, 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 your world starts to expand. You have interests that may take you not necessarily to football on a Saturday afternoon. Um, you know, you start to, it had been a decade of decline. We were in the third division and we were playing some poor football. Let's, let's be upfront. And it was a depressing time because it just seemed like the mill was, was, was losing in, in the, the grand game of called football. We were, we were falling behind. And yeah. I don't think you have that. There was a personal sense. So I don't, you know, others might disagree with it, but that, that was my I, take on it. You know. Yeah. I remember the crowds being very low. I think I mentioned this once before. I always remember, you know, at the very low point going to mill you know, around that time, I think it was actually in the Petchy era. We lost yeah. one nil to Berry. Yeah, and I just remember my dad shouting at the top of his voice, "You're going down, Barry." And he was actually right. We lost one nil. They went down, but that kind of echoed around an empty den. And you know, no as consolation. A, you know, as, as a young boy, it made me laugh quite a lot, actually. Um, but you know, it was quite. But you could walk. You know, you would. They had the fences, but you know, you could actually walk from one end to the other. One end, yeah, that's the old stadium. at half time, yeah, and. Yeah. Um, you know, to see the attacking end in the open seeing a goal, I think the optimism, you know, the hope that kills you, isn't it? But, Absolutely, um, yeah. But I do remember that Anderson's teams did, you know, kind of, I know in the book, um, Lions of the South, uh, Jim mm. Murray said, you know, it's kind of like exhibition football, which I think goes back to his NASL days. Yeah, the American scene. was kind yeah. of different, yeah. And we lost a bit of character. We became a bit of a soft touch, didn't we? You know, we would play teams off the park for 90 minutes and lose by a last-minute goal. But I think he didn't have much luck with injuries. Um, as I said, didn't think the, you know, the youth team coming through was good. And I think 
there was just more expectation because all of a sudden we started buying players. And as you know, with, you know, um, things like even, you know, Mick McCarthy, you know, you think of um, Spackman, you know, when you start buying players and you've got money to buy players, it never really works because no, you don't, it's, it's the other thing of not giving the team time to gel. We, we haven't done that very well at Mill. We've never been a team that seems to invest wisely. I, this, is, this, and this isn't just now, listeners. It goes back, as you can hear, a long, long time. I don't know why that would be. Um, someone else will have to analyse that. But I'm just looking at the I mean, the 82-83 season was really the end of it for, for Peter Anderson. We'd had some moderate seasons, I think, you know, the best way you can put it in the third division under his two years so far in, in charge of the club. But the, the wheels would come off in 82-83, Neil, and, you know, um, form went down the pan. Um, he would actually leave, I think he was suspended. I, I found a great, um, which I've forgotten, a great paragraph from the Daily Mirror saying he was suspended before the Warsaw game, which was on it was, Yeah, it was, it was like, because I said the 6-1 defeat uh, at Grimsby in the Cup, everyone remembers that, and he's yeah, first, yeah. first 45 minutes of his football career, but the he was suspended because Thorne saw that he had dropped Aylott and Allardyce, and I think Dean Neal from the team to play yeah. that game, because they're all carrying injuries, and he didn't want to, obviously, for them to break down and lose them for a lot longer. Yeah. No one said, you know, you can't keep, you know, your two big signings on the bench. On the bench, yeah. Like, right. And he kind of got involved a bit like um, uh, Theo did, the Thetis, you know. Yeah. It was a medal, a medal, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, to be honest, I don't think, you know, he, he wanted, you know, I think he was doing it for the best. He wasn't trying to destroy me all at all. I think he was, you know, wanted success. But when he got the money to buy new players, you know, he bought Woody Carr in and apparently Woody Carr was on more than the youngsters. But you would expect that because Woody Carr was an international, quite a renowned character. In his days, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, he was looking to mix that blend of youth with kind of veterans and it didn't really work. Um, whether it's a case of, you know, and again, he didn't have luck with injuries either, but... Um, no, he, I mean, he was missing pieces of the puzzle. You know, he was missing a right winger, etc., and that kind of thing. You know, and sometimes it just doesn't work, and you know, things go wrong. He would have been missing some front teeth by the end of his time at the Cold Blow Lane. If you were anywhere near the blokes that used to shout things, yeah, um, towards the end of his tenure. I mean, mm. I'm just looking at the league, the league table as 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 um, as his his period finished. There we are in 18th, 19th position, 20th of the third division. And we would get lower and lower. Yeah, I mean, George Graham would come in after Peter Anderson and prove in time to be one of the all-time greats. And yet you wouldn't have known that as that season, 82-83, seemed to be heading forever towards um, disaster and relegation to Division 4. But that would come good. So we're, we're weighing up the worst of all time here. But sometimes I think you're right, Neil. Um, luck and circumstances and injuries and, and all the kind of fates, if you want to call it, can play their part. And a bit of patience sometimes from a, from a board of directors because, you know, um, it was a miracle saviour the, at the end of that season. But we don't know how that would have worked out for Jules Graham if we'd have gone down. It might not have been quite the same mm. story. Yeah. Do we? Yeah. don't know. Um, so that's Peter Anderson. So he was one of my emotional choices. Um, the statistics slightly belie his, his, um, his, his you know, the, the, the real kind of effect of him. Although he did take us to the brink of Division 4. So I want to keep you, listeners, keep that in mind, if you will. Another emotional choice, and it was Jimmy Nicholl in uh, 96 to 97. Um, again, managing in very different, difficult circumstances. I, I slightly eliminated him from my thinking for that reason, that it was not an easy situation to uh, come into. But it, it, it didn't exactly help that all hard situation, Jimmy Nicholl. 
No, and yeah, you know, again, you've got to kind of put into context. You've got to look at what they achieved and what he achieved with Rafe Rovers. You know, he deserved a chance. You know, he you know he'd done a minor miracle, Rafe Rovers, and you know the players he brought in. You know, I know people go on about Jason Dare and you know Sinclair being absolutely awful. I'll tell you what, we've had some worse players recently. Um, we've had a lot worse, and, and Paul, yeah. I think Paul Hartley up front. I think that was that was a, a Jimmy. Paul Nippen. Hartley on the wing and um, Steve um, Crawford. Um, you know, I mean, Steve Crawford, Crawford was yeah. the first uh, yeah. striker at Millwall to hit double figures, I think, for about six seasons. Yeah, which which says an awful lot about the quality of strikers we had at Millwall before then. Um, but you know, it just again doesn't work. But you got to again put it into context in that the what was happening at Millwall at the time. It, you know, you can't really blame. Uh, Not Jimmy Nickel, no. 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 Very experienced player. 577 Football League appearances, 20 goals for Manchester United, plus a, a range of others. He'd managed in Scotland, as, as I think he took Rafe into, into European competition, which was... He did. Which was he, won, of. he won the uh, Coca-Cola League Cup up there, didn't he? So Yeah, that's right. And, and um, you know, it, it was there were a team that just never featured in... You know, in terms of success in in Scotland or anywhere else, for that matter, um, and and to be honest, I mean, he, his win percentage—he he managed for forty-eight games, won sixteen, drew eleven, lost twenty-one, and was sacked in February nineteen ninety-seven by by Theo. I think John Doherty took over pr- briefly, um, to no great effect again. But he, I mean, thirty-three percent win rate—if if that's how you want to judge it—which um, is you know one way you can look at it. Um, Again, it doesn't really put any context because, you know, no, his, his first, well, when he arrived, you know, it was that dreadful season when we were just on downward spiral, wasn't it, playing-wise? We and, were broke, you know, weren't we? We were skinned. The club was busted. Well, it wasn't even that. It was like we relied too much on Alex Ray, didn't we? We'd become a one-man team. And when Ray wasn't firing, we weren't firing. We had, you know, the, the Russians were there. Fuchs mm. was there. Yeah, it, it was just horrendous. <laughs> it was a it was a poor time. All over. Yeah, yeah. But um, you know, when you look at the kind of what was the second division, then you know we made a very good start. I know we got locked out of the league, but you know people forget we were top. Then we lost that game to Wick. Who were bombing yeah, at the time. We were just looking again. The late yeah. goal, yeah. yeah, late goal there. You know, and we should have really won that. And then there was the Woking game. But as soon as we got knocked out of the cup, that's when the administrators were called in because I think that was the last chance of getting. Well, that was a chance of, of revenue. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then he was asked to leave by the administrators. So it wasn't like he was sacked for performances. He was sacked because of money. And I know there's a story that you know he was trying to change things, and Millwall fans went up to him and said, "No, Jimmy, you got to go." Hmm. Well, you know, whether I mean, that's legend, I don't know. But you know, I mean, some of the other names that are on our list, listeners, will never will never manage a game. But Jimmy Nicholl did manage a game. He went back to Scotland. Um, Rafe Calvin Beef. You can argue about the level. I'm, I'm not going to get into that. But Hibernian are a, a reasonable sized club. Calvin Beef, and he's also caretake uh, caretake at Rangers briefly in, in mm. 2018. So. You know, he's he's seen as a man that knows what he's doing, and I think that's there's a big difference because um, we just mentioned Peter Anderson. He did not manage in in football again. I don't think he did in in America. I think he he changed direction completely. He did. He went to um, IT, I believe. He founded a computer, a very successful computer company, um, Bayshore Technologies. I think it was called. It was featured in um, I think it was Daily Mirror a few years back. It was doing very well. He kind of dot com millionaire kind of thing. Um, but again, it was, I think, again, it was one of those who tried the hands of management, never worked out and moved on. Went, yeah, just moved on. But, you know, it, it's just one of those strange things that are quite a lot of those that are featured 
have struggled to find managerial success after failing at Millwall, which is quite ironic, really. I mean, one more one more name in my emotional list, um, and then we'll probably move on to the, um, the, the the logical list, I suppose. I don't know where we'll put that, but it's Billy Bonds. I mean, uh, he had a, a win rate of um, one sixteen. Drew 13, lost 24, so not a great season. Um, under some fairly severe financial shackles, Billy Bonds, and he, he was responsible for bringing in Neil Harris. So there was, it wasn't a great time. I think Lucas Neil kind of came to the fore under Billy Bonds, I believe. No, he, he was injured. Uh, was he? Neil, Neil broke both his legs during that season, so hardly featured. Did he? He's, yeah, he starred under Nickel. He okay. starred under Nickel. Um, big things were expected. So this was one of the forgiving things I say about Bonds always kind of the wrong choice but uh, uh, Neil broke his leg I think it was his left leg came back then broke his right leg after well, one game um, and but he brought in uh, Richard Sadlier became um, permanent player yep. but when you think we started with Richard Sadlier and Danny Hopton up front just shows you the constraints he was working under but you know he like you said he signed Neil Harris he also signed Stephen Reid um, Paul Weifel um, yeah, I think of him as a builder. Tim, some of the Tim Cahill as well. He signed Tim Cahill, so and he gave him their debuts as well. So for all the kind of Kenny Browns and the Paul Allens, you know, there's kind of forgiveness there for the foundations he laid for you know what came after. I'm just looking at his opening day. This is a Billy Bonds opening day um, lineup against Brentford in 1997, um, and it's a list of names. That it's like it is you know it's a time machine. Tim Carter's in goal. Uh, Kenny Brown, Paul Sturgis, Alan McCleary, Brian Law, Scott Fitzgerald, Paul Allen, uh, Dave Savage, Richard Sadlier, Kim Grant, and Ricky Newman. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's a measure of what he was working with, Neil, isn't it? You know, it was not going to be an easy season with, with um, you know, willing but limited yeah. players. I think that's probably the best way to put it. We're seeing Carl, Carl Viet's name in there as well. I mean, you know, this this was a different different time. Yeah. I mean, if you think about worst players, my God, Paul Sturgis. <laughs> so I'm not going to count Billy Bonds. I mean, West Ham legend as a player, 758 appearances in Football League for, um, Football League for Charlton and then West Ham, 663 appearances. That's, that's quite something. Um, he managed at the, at the Den for one year only, May to May 1997 to 98. Um, Never managed a game afterwards, which is interesting. Um, never, to my knowledge, I don't know if he did anything at West Ham, but um, never yeah, managed, he, and, you know, you'd have thought he, he would have done. He became a bit of a youth coach, didn't he? Did he? Which I, I think he was that, he wasn't that bad as a manager. No, I think that was kind of his strength. But again, you know, it's like, the thing I always remember is like he's picturing the programme every week because had him in shorts and you could see his varicose veins bursting out of his calves. It wasn't a pretty sight. Comes to us all, Neil. Comes to us all. Um, I'm going to go down my list of percentages. This is how I've assessed my list, dear listeners. And uh, I'm going to dismiss Jack Cock, who uh, managed in 1944, whilst the Second World War was still on, to 1948. Not, no great success. Um, with just a 26.7% win rate. But those circumstances are special. And I do not think you can truly assess Jack Cock, a, a playing legend on that basis so i'm going to move on to my more logical list now and i think some of these names neil might be familiar to you tell me if you've got any others other than the next series of names um, i'll save mine to the end mine is controversial okay well um my first choice is um one steve lomas um who I, i'm gonna put in a bit of a defense for steve lomas 
Okay. He um, was he was on a hiding to nothing. Um, you know, the fuck off Lomas banner, you know. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, if you, if you again you've got to put into context, he took Calden beef into Europe. Yeah, yeah. Well, he, he took Calden beef, I think it was Calden beef, it was someone shit like that anyway. <laughs> but he took them into Europe. Um so you know, he definitely had something about him. Um but just he, you know, it was St. Johnston, not Calden Beef. I'm sorry. Um, but you know, taking someone like that into Europe, you know, you, you've got to put that into context. It's so like he definitely, again, not necessarily had something about him, but he definitely had a certain something to have done that to achieve that. I think, um, his reputation, but, I mean, from what I understand, his reputation in Scotland with St. Johnston was that he played the ball, a fast game, the ball was zipping yeah. around. I seem to remember him saying something along those lines in his pre-season interviews. He wanted the ball to be zipping around, mm. and that sounded good to me. Um, I, I, I agree with you that he's in, def, in uh, defence of Steve Lomas in that he was always going to be up against it um, because of the nature of the, the tribal nature of the game and the fact that he was this um, West Ham legend. Um, in his defence, and you know, members of the jury may or may not want to take into account a free winning game streak where we beat Blackpool at home 3 1, we beat Charlton away 1 0, and then Leeds at home 2 0 with goals from Martin Walford and Scott Malone. Um, I, I'll forgive him a lot for that, that you know, given, given some of the company that he's going to be keeping here, I'll forgive him a lot for those three wins. And I think that he wasn't as, nearly as bad, although I'm still looking at smullerings at Birmingham Bournemouth. So there, there's a few, yeah, but again, you've got to put stuff into context. I mean, he had some heavy losses. I mean, we lost 5-1 to Derby, 5-2 yeah. to Bournemouth, 4-0 to Watford. But in every single game, we had a player sent off. I mean, Watford, yeah. we had shit who sent off after 10 minutes. You know, and then you look at some of the lineups. Do you remember Guy Moussi? Yeah, he, I remember he, the name. Yeah, Sean Derry, you know. Sean Derry, God, like, he, he like, yeah. just comes straight from the pub to me. Chaplow, you know, like... Bailey, you know, we had... Um, yeah, the, the, shit Steve Mor- the shit Steve Morrison, <laughs> which should we yeah. say? And he's saying McDonald, you know, and you know, yeah, he he had some issues of injury. You know, I'm not saying you know he was you know he was to blame for some of this stuff. You know, he made the selections, he picked the signs, but you know, he had five players sent off in you know in the, the games he played in a few months. Which yeah, there's know, a disciplinary issue, which yeah, um, you know, um, didn't didn't help his cause. He was, he he needed to hit the ground running with Millwall because of his yeah. because of the, the West Ham connection. I mean, and I think that's kind of unfair. I know footballs and uh, we've said it already. It's a it's a, mm. it's a game of emotion there, wasn't it, rather than a game of statistics. But I always felt unfair. I, this is the irony of the situation, isn't it? You know, people will tell Steve Lamas to fuck off. They'll tell Paul Goddard to fuck off, and then go, "Your two favourite Millwall players? Oh yeah, Terry Erlock and Harry Cripps." Yeah. Makes no logic whatsoever. No, no, you, you no. kind of. You know, people seem to forget, you know, it's a profession. You know, these people have to earn a living. And if it just happens to be at West Ham, then yeah, so I mean, be it. But, you know, hate them while at West Ham. But, you know, if they then join Millwall, it's sort of like, yeah, I get it. I do get it. You know, that you're a fucking twat. You're a cunt. You should never play from type of thing. But give them a fair crack of the whip. You know, if they score a hat-trick on their first game, you still get a few hate in them. But, you know, that that's the bizarre logic. That, you know, some of our best players have come from West Ham and even Crystal Palace. And then, you know, you get someone come in 
with all good intentions, who had a good reputation and just gets destroyed because he lost 1-0 at home to Yeovil in the opening game of the season, which was very unlucky as well, but that's the way it goes. Human nature. Yeah. 25% win rating for Steve Lomas. We're going to take a swift advertising break and then we're going to hear from Harry Warren and Michael Avery as as an insert as to their choices and then we're going to come back after that break with possibly the biggest pantomime villain in Mill history. So I'll be right back after these messages, dear listeners. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You're listening to After Normal. Hello, this is uh, Mark from Beckenham. I saw the uh, Twitter number for the worst mill manager of all time. Uh, so I just thought I'd give some thoughts. Um, it's definitely between three people, uh, Spackman, uh, Lomas and Holloway. I think I think Spackman was just a poor manager. Um, at a bad time, we were going through a big slump. Probably well out of depth, I think. Um, with uh, low mass again, wrong manager, wrong time. I mean, I, I remember going to uh, there was a game against Swansea um, where we were just playing hoofball. It's probably the worst 90 minutes I've ever seen Mill play. It was, I mean, we played direct anyway, but my God, it was absolutely terrible. And he was just, he had no, no dominant like personality. It was just awful. But I've got to give it to Ian Holloway, and the reason why is because he just didn't get the club at all. And I've heard some people talk about uh, Millwall, the identity we've got as a club, and the fans dictate that. You know, we 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 give forward a message of what we want to do. And Neil Harris, you know, had his faults, but he represented that really well. 
I think Rowett's doing a good job as well, like taking that into a bit, but uh football going right up. I remember we played that massive Briggs at left back and he he was just awful, just kept giving the ball away. The identity was completely wrong with our club. And he didn't get in. He tried to wear that, that muggy hat that didn't suit him. Flat cap, trying to endear himself, but he was just terrible. And I, I think for that, he has to be the worst manager. Look what he's done at Grimsby now. He's just ran off, and he so he's yeah, he just didn't get us. So he's got to be the worst manager. Um, worst Millwall manager, blimey. There's some there's some contenders there, isn't there? Um, I think you can go with the obvious ones of the Dave Tuttles, the Colin Lees, the. Uh, uh, Ian Holloway's and 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 the, the the similar, but I mean even even Steve Lomas, I feel slightly slightly. Please don't hate me. Sorry for because I, I believe at the time he was he was the best sort of candidate win ratio for the job. Uh, the job he'd done with St Johnston to get basically was a semi pro Scottish team into Europe um, in consecutive seasons. But for me, the worst manager we ever had was. Um, Nigel Spackman, he was just just atrocious, wasn't he? He was absolutely appalling. Um, a season after we'd gone down with a whimper, you know, we really, really, really should have had a good clear out and, and built some good foundations. But when you've got foundations like Lenny Pidgeley, Chris Day, Derek McInnes and Philip Moraes, it tells you all you really need to know, really. Um, didn't work out. Willie Donaghy came in um, and was the star of a DVD called From Despair to Donaghy. Um, and then the sequel was going to be From Despair to Donaghy Back to Despair because it was atrocious then as well. But for me, Speckman takes it. Come on, you lines. So, firstly, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to all the Acton Millwall listeners. Um, Nick's asked us to pick our worst. Millwall managers, um, now there have been in my time of supporting the club, um, uh, we've sort of been between League One and League and the Championship, up and down, very at a flirt with going to League Two under Nigel Spackman and Colin Lee's role. Now, at the time, these felt monumentally terrible football managers with terrible squads and so on and so forth. However, in more recent times, the worst football manager by and I used to put Dave Tuttle into that. I thought Dave Tuttle, as worst Millwall manager that I've ever seen, could not be beaten until Ian Holloway turned up at the den. Now, Ian Holloway came with a big reputation and success previously. Um and was well thought of, of what he'd done at Blackpool, and also had got Crystal Palace promoted, but obviously, now, looking back at it, was a broken man after the way it ended at Crystal Palace, and Millwall took damaged goods. Um, uh, Alan Dunn's autobiography, the promises he made to players, and so on and so forth, that were broken, a very un-Millwall type of trait, um, the signing of people like Gary Taylor Fletcher, Ricardo Fuller, Rob Hulse, there's you know, um, the destruction of Sid Nelson making him captain 19 after a first 11 versus a second 11 game. These are all things that 
you'd try on the latest version of Football Manager or Fever. You know, you'd catch a thirteen year old going, Why are you why are you playing the why are you playing that that bloke who's in defence, it's not going to work. You try and educate him, but clearly this football manager with thousands of games under his belt decided that he wanted self-sabotage as a way. I generally believe halfway through that uh, final season, he was trying to self-sabotage himself, so we'd sack him and he got his payoff. Um, the man is an utter, utter charlatan um, and continues to be so um, because it's not like he learned anything from the Millwall experience. He got a massive payoff probably in the millions, um, obviously took took a job at QPR after us, acted like a complete and utter cunt when Millwall had managed to play. I was away in that away end that night when Gregory was sent off and Millwall were, I think, 1-0 up for a really long period of time before he they got a goal late on to get an equaliser and he celebrated it like he had just lifted the World Cup. Um, but obviously he'd inflamed things further by saying it was Neil Harris that took us down. Now, although that's technically true when you're 18 points or whatever we were behind teams for Neil to get us, I think we ended up being relegated second game from the end of the season or third game from the end of the season was a monumental achievement in itself. Um, I mean, the, the 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 state he left the club in, the amount of players we had to get rid of on big contracts and so on and so forth, I generally believe has cost us even to this day, really. Um, he he continues to be a complete cunt as well by acting the way he did towards Greensbury Town Football Club recently. Um, and yeah, that's just my thoughts on Ian Holloway. The, the faster the bloke never gets a job again in football, if he's on TV or any description i just turn it off and turn it over i've got no reason to listen to him i know more after i've started doing my coaching badges in the last year i know more off of one set of fa coaching badges level one than seemingly what ian holloway knows after 20 odd years in football no wonder vinnie jones and the crazy gang bullied him out of wimbledon and to be honest good on them it makes me like the crazy gang more if you're enjoying Afton Mill podcast, then why not help us grow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts? We'd love it, love it, if you visit the Apple link in the show notes and leave us a rating and a review. Afton Mill is the number one podcast broadcasting from beautiful South Bermondsey. No show sponsors, no Patreon, and no TikTok accounts. Thank you, dear listeners, and as always, Arrivederci Millwall. Big thank you to Harry and to Michael. Um, we've covered Lomas. Um, in my in my order of assessment, with a 22.5% win ratio, fighting out of Bristol, um, Mr. Ian Holloway comes next to my list, Neil. Um, as, and I think he is a contender for worst manager of all time. And I think you have to include statistics and emotion in that assessment. How do I'm, you see I'm, Holloway? I'm, I'm going to stick up for him here. <gasps> I'm not really. He was fucking awful. Sixty-four percent won't agree with you on my on my poll online. He, oh, he was. He was awful. I was. Um, I was at the Norwich game where we lost six-one. You know, me and oh Stan, the away game. Yeah, the me um, and Stan were there. It was a yeah. funny game, and that you know, Mill were in their best sense of humor, gallows humor type of thing. And when we <laughs> scored, Stan still remembers it to this day. You know, saying, "You know, you must be shit." We scored a goal, which <laughs> I think sums up his. You know, yes, he kept us up that first season, 
And my dad actually said, oh, I can see him taking us out of this division. And I went, yeah, it'd be the wrong way. <laughs> and so he was he just clueless, absolutely clueless. Well, that was always the that season that we survived. And I think we survived with a few wins at the end of the season um, to dodge relegation. Um, that's always brought up by Holloway himself in his defence that he kept us up. And it was Neil Harris that, that relegated us. But that covers a multitude of sins of... <laughs> Um, you know, wasteful signings, mismanagement. Um, you know, the, the Sid Nelson scandal. I, I don't. I think scandal is the right word for it. To plunge that the young kid in as captain. Yeah. Many, many, many comments online. I'll, I'll read some of them out after, after the show. Um, but he but, well, yeah, he's uh, absolutely. You know, like you said, you've got to judge it on the reputation where they come in, etc. And big things were expected of him because he had done it elsewhere. You know, and I know he, he was always seen as this quirky um, kind yeah, of the, uh, uh, the West Country. Yeah, accent. you know, this kind of very much you know a, a figure, not a figure of fun, but you know, people used to laugh along with him, laugh rather than that. Medic, him. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was sort of like, you know, after keeping us up, it's like, yeah. Yeah, you were expecting great things, but then, yeah, Harris took us down, but we were down long before that. We were down, we were relegated we were, you know, in our minds a long while before he, he actually went and he was clean. Yeah, it, it's sort of like, you know, someone saying, well, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald pulled the trigger. Yeah, <laughs> buddy loaded the gun and put the bullets in and gave him the rifle and, you know, told him where to be kind of thing. Yeah, it's kind of, every, it's a ridiculous defence. Um, there was no way he would have kept us up because that Norwich game, it was so shambolic. It was absolutely shambolic from start to finish. And I've never seen such a shambolic game, except for the, my candidate, who I'll get on to later. We'll be keeping that one up our sleeve. And, you know, it was kind of, I think, yeah, yeah. Again, if you look at the reputation, he was not a bad manager. I just think it was the most catastrophic. I can't even speak clusterfuck as of an appointment I've ever seen at Millwall. I don't know what went wrong, why it went wrong, what what happened or what was going on, but it just didn't work. Um, no, no. And it was like, and I will say, I think Spackman was probably worse than him. You know, Spackman was clueless. Um, Spackman I, you, was. you can't even find an excuse for Spackman. Um, you know, you could say that um that Holloway admitted that he came back too soon he needed a break from football I kind of do get that and it was shambolic Spackman had no excuses and that's the only thing that would probably save him um Holloway that is and compared to Spackman and that Spackman was just utterly idiotic both on and off the field well I think in, in, as as counsel for the prosecution here um I think I would place Holloway above Spackman in that Holloway's pattern, that he, you know, the, the pattern with Millwall, this initial sense of promise, and there was, I mean, I, I fell for it. I won't, I won't deny to anyone listening to this show that when, when he first arrived after Lomas had gone, um, there was a sense of excitement because he had a track record of, of, of success, on at least on the surface, Neil. Um, he'd, he'd taken um, Leicester City um, uh, upwards, I believe. No, Blackpool, sorry, Blackpool. I think it, it's taken many, a few upwards. Yeah, he's taken Blackpool in. Yeah. He's taken Leicester up. I, I know he managed there. Um, they were relegated as well. But um, Blackpool and Paris, he both took into into the Premier League. Mm. So there was a sense of, you know, there was a, there was a glow of success around him, and it, uh, no one really wanted to mention Plymouth, who he walked away from, you know, after again initial. That was his, um, you know, one of his um, uh, the other side of his coin. He, he, mm. he comes in and promising the earth, and then will walk away. 
and Grimsby Town have just found this out quite recently, haven't they? Uh, again, if I was looking at, um, I can't remember the name of the paper, the Grimsby Examiner or something like that, and they've analysed his career at Grimsby, which again, very, very similar, very, um, you know, initial promise, and then away he goes when when things start to get a bit heavy, blaming everyone but himself. Yeah, yeah, um, he's, he, he, that that's kind of the story of his career, though. Yeah, you know, he would have good spells, um, you know, and he would hit upon a magical formula, but more by accident than luck. And that's what he was trying to do at Millwall, I think, try and find that magical formula. And it just didn't work. And again, you know, you could say that some of the squad was shite. You know, some of the players he brought in weren't the, the right players for Millwall at the time. No. Again, no. You, you've got to apportion blame somewhere. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not getting results, yes, it's the manager and the players. And once they step over the line, you know, you haven't got a lot to do with that. But if you keep chopping and changing as much as he does and what, you know. Because I remember there being players passing through like it was Charing Cross Station in rush hour. You know, you, you there were players you just literally can't remember. You mentioned Lucy earlier on in that way that they just blur mm. out, out of your head. Um, so let's have a look at the, um, the, the the players for 2014 to 15. Um, that goes up to 40. I mean, squad numbers go from one, which was David Ford, all the way up to the low, low 40s. And that's with... Like, number of players sharing shirts mm. um, over the course of the season and you know you've, you've got some you've got some names in there again that just part I mean Justin Hoyt's in now I mean, he, he existed in the kind of collective memory didn't they Scott McDonald right. um, who the Fr hell was Dan Harding well this is it I mean Taylor Fletcher I mean we remember him for an Angel Martinez and um yeah. 20 games Dan Harding <laughs> the hell is he? I don't even remember him. Nicky Bailey, you know, he's non I remember Nicky Bailey. I remember him, yeah. but I mean, I, I don't want to remember him. But these nondescript players that, um, you know, passed through our, our club. Um, and I think that's the unforgivable because you, you have to, if, if it had been one of the, let's say it was a Spackman and he'd been given more mm. time and a Spackman had produced a season of 40 or 50 players with um, disastrous results, you could say, okay, he was the architect of it all. Um, but he, Holloway came to us with this reputation for managing at the top flight, in the top flight. And that's what I find so unforgivable with him because he must have known what he was doing. He must have known the chaos he was creating and he did it anyway. And I, that I can't, can't forgive. Um, it's summed yeah, up by the Sid, Nelson, the, the Sid Nelson scandal when he made an, mm. an 18 year old Millwall fan. We all know the, the Sid story, and we, we were all, you know, a lot of time for Sid. But um, a young boy made club captain because he thought it would curry favour and, and take some of the heat off of him as manager. That's that's low rent, I think. Well, people say that, but you know, Ray Wilkins was made manager at Chelsea in similar circumstances. Look what happened there. So I, I don't necessarily buy into that one, you know, throwing Sid under the bus kind of thing. No. You know, it, it's kind of, yeah, Ray Wilkins is a good case in point. You know, Chelsea were really shy at the time, which some re, uh, listeners may not remember. No, um, you know, and they, they put someone in who came through the ranks and, you know, it kind of worked. And I kind of got the uh, intention behind it that, you know, you had this mill kid through and through you know who's gonna you know fight he was for the seen, as, he seen as the next big thing wasn't he yeah, yeah um but you know at the rest who else are you gonna make cats in uh you know dan harding <laughs> joss huivel uh, ed upson uh, yeah. yeah ed upson is a name 
So Ian Holloway managed Millwall January 2014 to March 2015, where he was clinging on by the end for his his pay. Incidentally, I, I, in a similar way, and I'm probably going to inspire a lot of people to scream at their car stereos now or into their headphones. He clung on for his payout because he didn't want to walk away because it meant that he wouldn't get paid. Now, mm. I don't entirely blame him for that because it is, you know, you said it earlier on, it's a job. Um, you know, if, if, if you could be paid money from a, a place of employment, you would do your best to achieve that. And, you know, there were many things that Ian Holloway did wrong. And I, I, I don't blame him for clinging on for the best payout he could achieve for himself. In all honesty, that some people might say that's... Um, I, I actually agree. Yeah, I agree with that. That you've got to take the emotion away, haven't you? Um, it's an employment. And if, um, yeah, and if anyone else in a similar situation, they would wait for the payoff. It's only because uh, we, we we sentimentalise football in a way as as fans, and that's 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 what we do. Yeah. That's the romance of the game. But in the end, it's from a, from a professional point of view, it's a place of employment. So, yeah. you know, if you at the uh, end of the day. The club signed the contract, so you know. Club signed the contract, and it's called a contract for a yeah. reason, and it's an agreement. So uh, that bit, although he got hammered for it and gets hammered for it, it's still online. Mm. I, I don't entirely take away his right to get the best um, deal he possibly could. Um, so Ian Holloway played 62, won 14, drew 19, lost 29, um, scored 55 goals. This is probably the worst part of it, Neil, against 94 goals against. So for every goal we scored, we conceded nearly two. Mm. Um, 22.5% win ratio. So um, I, I think I think he's he, he's my candidate for worst of all time. But I do have a couple of, well, three more turkeys to go through with you if, before we can come to your controversial choice. So maybe, I don't know if I'm going to come to any, tell me if any of these are your choices now. Mm. But next up with um, a brief period, six month period, Colin Lee. Um, in a season of utter, utter turmoil at the day. And there may be kids now that don't remember this because it, um, mind you, I think our listenership is almost all um, 25 to 55 year old blokes. So I think they all, they probably all, all will remember this season all See, too well. You've got to diverse a bit. Man. You've got diverse. <laughs> Apparently I've got you've to diverse. You've got to get got, out there. I've got to get on TikTok listeners. Uh, um, I don't know. I'm going to tell, tell yeah. that story on TikTok. Yeah. <laughs> Colin Lee was one of those managers that it, it was. We had more chairman than managers that season. Or it seemed well, we like, had as many chairman yeah. as managers. Um, that was when Theo departed. Um, Wise had gone the previous season, which was um, wasn't no. It was the European season, wasn't the cup final season? Yeah, before. European season. Yeah, it was. Um, again, that was when they sat Claridge, wasn't Claridge it? Claridge was manager for July. He um, just knew that was going to end in defeat. Um, oh, sorry, relegation rather. Um, yeah. But you know, it's kind of. It was a great manager for a great period is the best way you can sum that up. I think, um, I mean, Colin Lee came in. I remember Colin Lee once scoring four goals for Tottenham. Um, You know, he wasn't a player that ever really impressed you, but somehow I think they beat Bristol Rovers 9-0 in the 70s Mm. and Colin Lee got four goals. Um, Yeah, I remember Colin Lee from shoot and Roy the Rovers, that kind of thing. (laughs) um, I mean, played for Chelsea, you know, reasonably experienced player. He'd had some management experience, Watford, Wolves, Torquay, Walsall, and then Millwall. Strangely, never again after Millwall. So, you know, this this is going to be a repeat theme now, listeners. I think he... Yeah, I think that uh, was always going to be the last saloon for him anyway. You know, Mm. he was never a manager that would be first on anyone's shopping list. 
He was cast in the role. I mean, we had the Steve Claridge interview, obviously, in the summertime, which was utterly fascinating. If you haven't listened to it, do. It's, it's, a, it's an insight into, um, into the psyche of, of Steve Claridge. Uh, I think Colin Lee at the time, and also if you listen to Claridge's interview, rightly or wrongly, fairly or unfairly, was cast as a slight pantomime villain, like they're kind of lurking in the wings, waiting to come on and take your job off you, like the like the child catcher in um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, you know, yeah. it, that kind of air about him. But whether that's fair or not, I don't know. Um, but then, you know, who brought him in? It was Steve Claridge. Was he assistant to Claridge? Or he was assistant to Claridge, yeah. Okay. It's almost Shakespearean, isn't it? The, um... Yeah, whether he bought him or whether he's forced on him, I don't know. So giving the benefit of the doubt. But this is when it... CO was still pulling strings from yeah, the yeah. odd time. Very yeah. Odd. A very uh, Colin Lee, if if you were to say Colin Lee was a country, you called him something like communist Poland. <laughs> Communist Poland, <laughs> Communist Poland, or Communist East Germany, Dower Grey, functional. Would, yeah, never, you know, well, barely functional, games. barely yeah. functional. I think you probably are yeah. capturing something with that idea of Poland under communism because mm. it barely worked. Um, just about. He played 28 or managed 28 games. He won just six times, drew nine, lost 13, um, 426 against 42. So actually, not far short of the mm. score one that can see two ratio that we we had with, with Ian Holloway actually um that was in 2000 July to December 2005 then he became director of football do you remember that bizarre period when he went upstairs to become director of football like a, yeah like a, a Bermondsey Rhinus Michels or something sitting up there you know wanting um the beautiful was, like being head of Stasi in Poland <laughs> becoming head of Stasi in East Germany Achtung Milbein Colin Lee, 21.4% win ratio. He doesn't make the cut for the absolute worst, but he's certainly in the relegation zone. Um, I have two more for you, dear listeners. Next up is, um, a, 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 what should we call that? It was a dry, a desert, the Kalahari desert of a period of Millwall history. We have Dave Tuttle up next. You've had enough of Colin Lee. You've now got him as director of football, directing the... Um, <laughs> The, the footballing um, genius that is David Tuttle from two, December 2005 to April 2006. Um, He's the Albania of football. Albania. <laughs> the best way you could describe it. It's just... I used to feel sorry for him, and I don't know why, why do I feel sorry for him? Because uh, uh, it, 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 it's a pity of me. You're a, um, I remember he got a lot of flack when he... Uh, who did he replace in the centre of defence... Uh, oh, it was a Sean Dyche, wasn't it? He was, he was, he was in that. He had a was his, no, it was Nevercott. He replaced Nevercott, I think, and we lost a few, and he took the blame. Um, he had a decent free because, kick on him. Yeah, he could strike a free kick. Because he played for Palace, I think that was it. Um, but yeah, yeah, he's. I know Stephen Constantine mentioned, you know, he's a uh, way, you know, his tactical talk was to bring in a load of alcohol <laughs> to tell the players to get drunk. And that kind of thing, like Brian Clough. But um, again, it was more of a caretaker role, wasn't it, with Burns? So I don't think we can really include him in the list. No, he was awful. Mm. Um, and we, we were sliding towards relegation and oblivion. Um, he, had, he won just 18% of his games, if you want to assess it. We, he managed 22 uh, matches for Mill, winning just four times, drawing nine, losing nine. Um, his for and against numbers weren't too bad. They scored 16 and conceded 23. So we, 
It's like making a purse out of a sow's ear, though, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, we, we, we're, we're only just losing. We're still losing, yeah. but only just. It's, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's yeah you've got to you know, give him the benefit of the doubt, I think. All right. Well, there we are. That's David Tuttle. And finally, finally, listeners on my list is, and I don't know if this is your um, big reveal, Neil, or, or, or whether, whether that's so, it's going to be Nigel Spackman um, from May to September 2006. He managed just 12 games in charge um, and won two, drew two and lost eight. We scored eight goals in that period and conceded 21. Um, he, it's just, he was he was so out of his depth. He He's, was... Yeah. Well, I, 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 he, he said, you know, I'm doing all the right things on the training ground. Um, but I'm not doing it in the matches, you know, but, you know, if it means I've just got to go out and grind results, you know, to keep my job, then that's what I do. Well, that it's would have been lovely if he could have done yeah. that. <laughs> that like, yeah, lovely. You, you really don't get it, do you? It's kind of, he was more of a coach, wasn't he? He wanted to play silky football. Um, but again, he, um... you know, he hadn't managed for a while. He hadn't really had a good track record. I think he was cheap. Which is why we got him. Always a big factor. Um, Always a big factor. But again, it was like during that almost second spell in, in administration, wasn't it? After yeah. the O fuck up. And we got in all these players, most of them signed on a free. And apart from Richard Shaw, most of them were terrible. Chris Hackett was all right, actually. Um, but, you know, the rest of them, you know, Philip Morass, I know he had a decent career elsewhere, but he was a bit lightweight. You know, we had. Um, we had some horrendous people come in, didn't we? Well, just it looking just at work. opening day fixture, I mean, it's, it's sometimes worth just savouring these names. This was um, Nigel Spackman's first game in charge. Um, at home to Yeovil, blindingly hot day. I remember it well. I remember Heather Rabats handing out water in the to the ticket queue because they couldn't organise the ticket. They should have signed some for the ticket office rather than some of these players. Um, but the number, so the, the goalkeeper, number one, Lenny Pidgeley. Um, Morris Ross, Tony Craig, old, a long-time servant, Marvin Elliott, Paul Shaw, no, Richard Shaw, sorry, Richard mm. Shaw, not Paul Shaw, um, Zach Whitbread, Marvin Williams, Derek McInnes went on to some managerial um, is, success yeah. in Scotland, Neil, didn't he? Um, was, it, was it Hearts, I believe? Uh, Dunfermline, I thought it was. Dunfermline. Yeah. So he's become a name in management terms. Yeah. Tom uh, Tom or Tam Brighton. Um, Darren Byfield and Philippe Murray, and then on the bench we've got Day. Who was Day? That was that um, was goalkeeper. Yeah, I can't remember his first name. Day goalkeeper, spare goalkeeper. Paul Robinson, Neil Ardley, Chris Hackett was all right, and Paul Huberts was. I, I didn't mind Paul Huberts. I mean, that wasn't Huberts wasn't was the a, worst eleven in the world. But, yeah, it was Chris Day, by the way. Um, Day. Yeah, it wasn't. But Huberts was that meaty striker who um, didn't get a fair crack of the whip. Uh, uh, you know, under Spackman, you yeah. know, we we had Kevin Braniff start a few times. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know, I mean, McInnes is a uh, good. You know, he was a decent. McInnes was a decent midfielder, um, but he used to train alone in Scotland, then fly down for the games. Um, you know, and he used to put a shift in. And Tam Brighton got injured. Um, I know Byfield didn't really work out, but even with that team of players you would expect to get results. I mean, Ross was used, was a Scottish international. Um, yeah. And that that group of players, with Lenny Pidgeley, who was at the time highly rated in goal, under a different manager, they probably would have done quite well in that division. But um, Probably should have done okay. Yeah. I, I think I think it comes back to the manager. I think you're, you're right. Um, 
chopping and changing that i mean you know again i know you have to react to events but there's always some value in at least having a basis of a mm. starting 11 you need the old classic spine and he was he was chopping and changing i suppose but panic set in um i remember i met um spackman in the executive lounge it was must have been a pre-season friend it was a very very hot day um and he was he was kind of doing the handshaking in, in the exec lounge it must have been a friendly or something and yeah, I'm a great believer in its first impressions. You have like 10 seconds to actually assess somebody when you meet mm. them. And in general, that's 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 correct, that assessment, whatever that might be. And I can't remember what he is. He made some remark about the players of, of, of the previous season needing to liven up or something. Mm. It just seemed a little bit like um, opening up the bathroom door and looking in. You know, it just didn't, didn't seem right. You, you shouldn't be doing that as a manager. You know, you, there's, a, there's a certain need in this world for, for loyalty amongst your group and he didn't show it and I remember then having doubts and I, it was just unsettling you know one of those things that nags at you um it just seemed on he was wearing like slip-on slider type sandals as well mm. which didn't I don't know so I don't know it's 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 I think he is my choice Neil Andrews Nigel mm. Spackman because he had a he had an okay playing record he played for Liverpool um, played Chelsea, played for Rangers. Chelsea, yeah, and um, had some management experience. Not not a brilliant track record in mm. management, but he he must have known the ropes. But we we seem to be signing players for fun. It was almost if you were walking past the ground outside in the street, you could just like walk in and get a job. It was yeah, very very odd. I mean, again, um, thirty five. The squad goes from none to thirty five um, players. So I can't remember Charlie Lee. Do you remember Charlie Lee? I don't remember him. Um, yeah. Do you remember him? I don't remember him. I mean, Jody Morris came in. This would be later in the season. Mm. But what um, what what Spackman started was a a season of turmoil. And you know, I think he was replaced by Willie Donaghy. Actually, actually saved the day that season. Didn't he? Yeah, he did. And then he had his sixteen strong men, or um, big and strong and true, or whatever he called them. And it didn't work the following season. But you know, no. he was he was unlucky. I think if he had that team. Well, he did have that team, yeah, but if he was able to build on that team, because I know he lost a few players at the end of that season, he could have built something good at Millwall. I think, you know, he, again, just had um, a bad run of, you know, throw the dice, as it were, in terms of players leaving and not having the money to sign new players and having to kind of work with a squad that didn't really work. And then obviously Jacket came in and the rest, the rest is history. history. Yeah. I mean, Spackman left us with a sitting 23rd maybe 22nd, depending on which, which day. But there we are, 23rd in division, uh, third tier, league, league um, what that be called, league, league one at that point. Yeah. Um, staring at the uh, relegation, really, and I think that would have been the logical conclusion of Nigel Spackman's season. Yeah. Um, so I've combined statistics and emotion to produce my worst of all time, my vote, which is Nigel Spackman. Are you, are you going to do your reveal now? Do I need to do a bit of a, an orchestral finale type thing for your big reveal worst of all time if you've got an orchestra andy in your living room i can produce a lot of things and i'll Uh, do well you know you can always overdub it can't you and then do (laughs) pretend that you're doing this big orchestral reveal destroy the mystery (laughs) yeah yeah mine is purely emotional and actually um i'm going to focus on a certain number of results as well which changed the course of millwall history Okay. And my nomination for worst manager of all time is none other than Mick McCarthy. McCarthy. That's yeah. actually a very interesting choice because I 
I don't think I can disagree with it, with that as a. I mean, it's it's, it's, it's I know what you mean. I, I I know what you mean. It's an interesting. There's choice. reasons. There's reasons behind it, and I know there's a few people saying, "Well, you know, we beat Arsenal and Chelsea, yeah, and you yeah, know, the cup run." Yeah. And I totally agree. I totally agree. He had his moments, but I think he flattered to deceive, and I think he is flattered to deceive throughout his career in every job he's gone at. But if we just stick to Millwall. Mm. Yeah, you know, he changed the formation to the diamond formation. And, you know, that season we played some lovely football and we were beating teams off the park and yet we didn't make the playoffs. And you got to no, ask That would be 91, 92. No, 92, 93. 92, 93. And okay. he got quite lucky. He bought Andy May, um, who, you know, was the linchpin of this formation. He, he you know, he inherited Casey Keller. Um, well, he inherited a great squad from Bruce Willock. He did. And that team really should have made the playoffs. They should have gone up and they didn't. But people saw, like said, oh, but we played lovely football. Mm. But we still missed out on the playoffs. Then the following season, the first season at the New Den. Yeah. Again, he had a good quality team. We had Ayrton Vervier, you know, firing. We had, you know, decent players. We lost Colin Cooper, mm -hmm. admittedly, you know, who was a linchpin of that side as well. Um, yeah. And he got, you know, he got us into the playoffs. And we said he got us into the playoffs. He should have took us up straight away that season. Forget the playoffs. We had a team there. That should have been promoted and for whatever reason they weren't he brought in terry herlock which again i know people yeah so it's, it's an the, emotional the pull with, with terry return herlock. of the prodigal son yeah. but again got sent off him. sent off yeah. his first game etc you know it kind of it was like um man city signing vodney marsh when they were on course for the title <laughs> and then lost it because it changed the dynamic and i know it's an emotive and i know people argue against me and you know they're Welcome to their opinion kind of thing. Mm. But, you know, he got sent off after eight minutes for kicking someone. Mm. And we drew that game. We should have won, you know, nil-nil. We drew it with nine men. I know Vanden Howe got sent off as well. But it kind of set the tone for the rest of the season. And then, you know, you go into the playoffs. You've been playing 4-4-2 all season. So what does he do away to Derby? He plays 3-5-2 and we lose 2-0. Yeah. You know, forget about the return game, which was just a fuck up from start to finish. But that 3-5-2 against the team would, you know, I think we'd beaten it quite easily um, a couple of weeks before. You know, and we beat them three 0 I think. We yeah, beat decisively. Yeah, yeah, and we're you know we shouldn't have been in the playoffs anyway. And so it's I, an interesting choice. And it, it's, it's, it's it's I'm just thinking you, about it. Yeah, go on. But then you can sort of go on the following season. You know, you get the two you know, cup runs, so you get to the quarterfinals of the League Cup, yeah. fifth round of the FA Cup. I know you can't do anything about Damien Webber handballing it against QPR, but that game against Swindon again. We lost 3-1 against the team we've beaten quite comfortably a few weeks previously. Um, you know, missed out on the semi-final. It was ridiculous. Um, and we did nothing in the league that year. Absolutely nothing. You know, he signed Kingsley Black, you know, a very decent winger. Yeah. Played in one game, then changed the formation to 4-3-3. And he would do that throughout his career. And then the following season, you know, he bought, you know, we, we sold uh, Roberts and we bought, yeah, Uwe Fuchs. We'll get on to him in a minute, but he bought what was it <laughs> six different players, and you know he changed the squad. He then brought the Russians in, and it's like it just was. It's like Peter Anderson, too yeah. much money, and he's buying wrong players, Ricky Newman and Bobby Barry, who are yeah. I, I know this has annoyed people. They are decent players in their day. They will fit in a certain side. They just wouldn't fit into Millwall's side, and you know where they come from, etc. But he bought, you know, he spent half a million on Gerard Lavin. And it's like, why are we spending half a million on a right back? And then he played against, you know, we went on this 10 game, un, 
broken, you know, unbeaten run. And the game against Stoke where we lost, I always remember this, we had a left-back playing at centre-half. So tell a lie. We had a centre-half, as in Ben Thatcher, who wanted to play left-back because he thought he was Stuart Pearce playing left-back. We had a left-back in um, Van Blurt mm. playing left-wing. We had Ricky Newman, a right midfield, playing right-back, and Gerard Lavin, the right-back, playing right midfield. I was thinking, what the fuck are you doing? Well, so the word leaps into my mind, and actually it leaps into my mind when you consider the, the departure of Mick McCarthy is, is unprofessional because for at least six months of that very odd season where we were relegated, well, six months of the first part of the season, shall we say, we were looking okay. We, we somehow scrambled to the top of the table. But all that time, his his, his eyes were on the Republic of Ireland job because Jack yeah. Charlton was on the brink of um, resigning or being sacked or whatever. But they even Uwe Fuchs, you know, he had a great sport at Middlesbrough where people say he could flatter to disease, but he came in and apparently he just take the, took the piss out of him in the dressing room all the time and yeah. demoralised players. Um, I knew someone who knew Stephen Forbes, the midfielder. Who's like okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was saying, you know, that folks would just sit in the changing room and it just rip into him and, you know, Ooh. calling him all the names under the sun, you know, and what have you. It's kind of like his motivational piece. Um, <laughs> it just didn't work. You're but really going to play for someone after that? Well, <laughs> some of the Drossy signed Richard Hutsford, Lee Luscombe, <laughs> Lee McRobert, or as I knew him, Lee McShit, you know, and, it's like, and he would sell players and just sign Dross and he, you know, he tried to rebuild teams without even replace it. And we were so reliant on Alex Ray that as soon as you took Alex Ray out the side, no, it fell we, were, apart. we were lost. Um... We, were, we were just an awful side in flats. That season we went down, the, our highest record win was 2 0. You know, this was meant to be this great. We were nicking results left, right, and centre. And I'll tell you what, he's gone on. Everyone says about Republic of Ireland. Again, loads of great players, but. Well, Roy it King really didn't think highly of him there, did exactly. he? I mean, you know, um, Roy, Roy King summed it up, I think, that only Mick McCarthy could take a World Cup squad and their training ground was a bit of rough patch around the back of the hotel. It's kind of, <laughs> you know, and he's done that. Yeah, actually, one of the best things he ever did as middle manager was taking Kevin Kyle off, I think it was, for Sunderland after he threatened to score to equalise in the semi-final. And for some he reason, did, he took right. him off. He, he did that. Yeah. 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 That, was his, that was his great gift to Mill. That was Not, his great gift to Millwall, but... You know, I would say until my dying day, he was one of the worst managers ever because with that squad he had, with the money he had to spend, and don't forget this is where we end up in administration as well, and the wages he was paying out, so the dross he was actually serving up in terms of players and football at times, you know, it was kind of ridiculous. And I know we beat Arsenal, and I know we beat Chelsea, you know, but even the Arsenal, you look at the, the team there, Ali Edwards up front, you know, and Ali Edwards was unlucky in that game, to be fair. But, you know, David Mitchell was huffing and puffing even then. And yeah. the fast were just so poor. I think we kind of got away, although we did play well that night. We played really well that night. We played well against Chelsea, but it was kind of, we played well sporadically under Mick McCarthy and we would have good runs. Um, and whether it was because of him or in spite of him, I don't know. Interesting choice. Now, I'm just, just as a, to close it, I mean, just looking at the, uh, the the sendings off, um, I've never really looked at this before, but um, under Mick McCarthy, um, we had eight sendings off. And this is the season we went to the playoffs, 93-94, eight sendings off in the course of that season, five sendings off, 94-95, uh, and then um, he didn't complete 95-96, but seven with, um, you know. I know you can't avoid um, yellows in, in in the modern game, but there's a certain lack of discipline to keep getting reds, and it kind of keeps taking you back to that sense of um, almost an unprofessional kind of attitude, or I couldn't care less yeah. kind of attitude. We, yeah, those those kind of red cards when it costs you. I mean, it's a good point. I think the under 
Keith Stevens and McCleary, who once had 12 sent off in a season. Yeah. But that was some really weird decisions. And we were still carving out games and we we're still winning games, you know. Um, but, you know, it was sometimes it was, um, you know, for dissent and things that you could crack down. And other two, times two yellows, just, you can yeah. get that. I, 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 I think it does cost you over course. You're playing repeatedly with with 10 men or you know or, yeah you know, hopefully not less but you know it can it can certainly cost you so it's an interesting point it's an interesting choice neil it wasn't what i was expecting to be honest but an interesting choice i'm trying to think if, if, I, I, I kind of get where you're going with it it just seems harsh to throw him in the season the season we went down casey keller went to some i think it was the concaf tournament yeah you know, got picked by America and people saying you shouldn't let him go and what have you. But this is, you know, a big thing for Casey Keller. You know, you play against Brazil and that kind of thing. He came back and so to show him who was boss, he put him on the bench and kept him car in goal. And I think we lost that game. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the following week, Keller was back. It's like, if you've got Casey Keller available, why the hell are you playing Tim Carr? You for who, you know, for, you know, as much as, you know, I like Tim Carr as a person, you know, yeah. God rest his soul and what have you. If you had a choice between putting Tim Carr and Casey Keller in goal and you put Tim Carr in goal, there is something wrong with your managerial style and technique <laughs> and even ability. There we are. It's all a matter of opinion. I'm just looking at some of the um, comments on my, my poll. My poll finished today. 544 people voted for Mill's worst ever manager. 64%, as we've said already, Neil went for, for Ian Holloway. Nigel Spackman got a, a creditable 23%. Um, Tuttle and Colin Lee picked up the also rounds in the comments. Some great comments through here. I mean, Rob Carnaby says Colin Lee was the only manager he'd ever seen confuse the players during a warm up passing drill 20 minutes before kickoff, and it kind of made him wonder how the rest of the week was going if they're confused there. Um, there's some great other comments here. Holloway says James Gibbons, Holloway almost felt like he was intentionally failing, so he got a payout. Um, I don't know, don't know about that, but Diana Day speaking about Peter Anderson says he was the worst by country mile, Neil, closely followed by George Petty, Ian Holloway, Lomas and the rest. Anderson spent money on crap players, drove the fan base to 2,300 and the foot of Division 3. Uh, that's not true, actually. The <laughs> fan base was at 2,500 when he took over and he got one of results that actually took it back to the 5,000 mark. He doubled, so he doubled it, the crowd. He, doubled, he actually doubled the crowd. <laughs> with the but the spending on the crap players, it's like the point we were saying, that suddenly he got money and he brought players in that weren't necessarily crap. That was the thing. So, you know, they just didn't yeah. feel well. You know, it's kind of... You, As you, I say, emotion plays its part. I mean, other yeah. than naming Jimmy Nickholm. The, pl the players you bring in, you know, you bring in Sam Allardyce, you bring in Trevor Aylott, and you bring in Woody Card. Now, these are established names. They're not crap players per se, but perhaps it just didn't work at Millwall. You know, that, that's kind of the thing you've got to remember when you kind of weigh up these, you know, the signings and the crap players kind of thing. You know, it's like a Ricardo Fuller was always going to find goals. And then, you know, yeah. under Holloway, he was lucky if he could find the bench. Or find the roof of the stand on one occasion. Um, there we are, dear listeners. I think um, that's a great way to close it. I think um, Neil's choice, Mick McCarthy, I think that's going to be a controversial choice mine i think on reflection i'm going to go with nigel spackman but there's an honorable mention and the people's choice the people's choice was ian holloway on 64 percent and I, I won't fight anyone who says ian holloway to be absolutely honest I, I would actually agree with ian holloway except mick mccarthy had so many chances to take us up 
and blew every single one of them. You're listening to a man scarred. I am scarred. scarred. I am scarred. We're all scarred. I used to laugh when Ireland lost. I used to laugh heavily when I <laughs> to the point that when Terry on ball handballed it, you know, it was like, yeah, that's was playing Mickey Bennett, you fuckers. <laughs> Huge thank you to Neil Crazy Hawks Andrews. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this show, dear listeners. I hope you have your own views and opinions. Do let us know um, your take on. I mean, a lot of you have done it already on the worst managers, um, but do let us know if you have any other input for the show. Big thank you, Neil. Thank you for joining me today. Yes, thank you for having me. And now I'm going to have to go lie down and take some medication, I think. Let's <laughs> do the same with some alcohol. So thank you for listening, dear listeners. We'll be back very, very, very soon with another edition of Achtung Millwall. Happy Merry Merry, Merry Nahum and um, Happy New Year, if I don't speak to you before then. Until then, it's bye for now from me and from Neil. Bye for now. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Achtung Millwall. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review. A reverdiction Millwall. Till next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.